Good morning. Um, <clears throat> it's good to be with you this morning. I um, was asked by Chris quite a few months ago to um, be here this week, and it was supposed to be our second week back meeting all together, and then life changed again, right? We were told that uh, by June things would be normal again and not so much. Um, but here we are, so uh, thankful for technology in a way to get to um, gather around God's Word, even if we can't gather um, around each other. It's um, been talked about quite a few times this morning already that it's, it's been a weird season, hadn't it? Um, global pandemics, who knew? Um, I found out that in my small household of just me and a toddler, when you're not going very many places or eating out a lot, I can um, polish off the family size um, package of Oreo Thins a lot quicker um, than I used to. Um, they don't sell the Oreo Thins in a smaller package than family size. I have to buy the family size of the Oreo Thins. Um, but they disappear a lot quicker than they used to, right? Um, I don't, I had a hard time getting earrings in my ears this morning. I don't wear makeup all the time. Um, it's, it's, there's been some things that are weird, right? Um, but I've also, I think probably like most of us, if we're honest, I've consumed a lot more, um, media than would have been normal in March. And, um, last week or the week before, <clears throat> I watched a movie on Disney Plus. Um, I wouldn't normally plug it so specifically, but I think it would be good for families to watch together. Um, maybe not young, young children. Preview it for your young children because it's um, got some of the realities of life in it. But The Queen of Kotway is a movie that's based in Kampala, Uganda, um, which is the capital city of that East African country. And Kotway is one of the largest slums in that city. And the movie is the story of a young girl growing up in that slum who learns to play chess and ends up traveling internationally and being very successful um, at playing chess. It's her, her brain just is wired that way and works that way, and it's a compelling, it's a really compelling story. Um, but she's had a hard time with chess and had a hard time with life. Her family has had some um, difficulties come up. She's having a conversation with her chess coach, <clears throat> and she tells him she wants to quit. Why, why would I keep pursuing something that's this difficult if life never really changes? Um, I'm never going to move out of the slum. My family's never going to have enough money or food. Um, it's never going to change. And her, her chess coach says something um, that has stuck with me, so much so that I went back and found the scene and rewatched it, because um, I think it's a really wise thing um, it was wise for him to say uh, to a young girl who lived in the slums um, of Africa, but I think um, we can take some wisdom from it today. He tells her, sometimes the place you are used to is not the place you belong. I don't think that um, God caused the global pandemic, um, <clears throat> but I definitely think he can use it in our lives. And I think that what has become true for a lot of us when we're willing to listen to him during this season is that pre-March, the places that we were used to are not necessarily the places we belong. 
There was a lot of comfort for me before March. I had, right, a salary I could count on. That's not true anymore. I had a career that I thought was moving forward. That's not true anymore. Um, There were relationships that were both established and building. That's on rocky ground now, right, because we can't just hang out at each other's houses. We don't run into one another anywhere anymore, right, especially now that we're wearing masks, um, even at the grocery store. We may walk past each other and not even recognize each other anymore. So relationally, it's weird, um, right? What we're eating is different. How we're sleeping is different. The whole world is stressed out about some things. And yet, I think that if we'll allow him to, what the Lord can do with this season is move us from where we were used to, the place we were used to, to the places that we belong. I think we're going to see that truth in the story of Nehemiah this morning. We're going to pick up right where Chris left off um, last week. Chris told us about how in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah, uh, an exile, living um, and working for King Artaxerxes, he gets word from the homeland that things aren't good um, and immediately mourns. Um, grieves the news and spends a lot of time fasting and praying. And he prays for a long time, feels like he gets a word from the Lord, even prays um, that God will grant him mercy in the sight of the king. And then we get to chapter 2. Let's read the first um, eight verses together. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah. In the month of Nisan, In the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting behind beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Restoration requires courage. What we see in the life of Nehemiah in this passage is that he spent all these weeks fasting and praying. He really put it before the Lord. He knew what he was supposed to do. And still, he didn't initiate the conversation. Right? The Lord orchestrated the whole thing. But when the king is like, hey, dude, what's up? He kind of panics. He prays, and then he pushes right through. 
It took a lot of courage for Nehemiah to do what he was going to do, to ask boldly of the king to be released from service, um, to give him a timeline of when he'll be back, to know the letters that he needed to ask for, to be safe in his travels, and to get the supplies that he needed. Nehemiah had courage to change his whole, he, he switch, boy did he switch lanes, right? He's going to go from um, someone who works inside the castle, eats the food that the king eats, drinks the food that the king drinks, probably never gets sunburned, doesn't really have the physique of someone who works outside, and he goes to, like he's signing up to be a foreman for a construction project. In, in a broke-down city, right? I bet the food in Jerusalem was not like the food for the cupbearer. Merriam-Webster, um, the old standby, defines courage this way. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Boy, is that applicable to right now in life y'all everybody's stressed out everybody we need some courage just to right like get through the next lockdown if another one's coming or the next wave of positive tests or when illness hits our households but we certainly are going to need the strength to withstand danger fear or difficulty if we're to be the people who rebuild and restore after it's over. Here's some interesting things that I learned about the original language, though. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, so both the Hebrew and the Greek, when we see in English the word courage in our Bibles, it's usually take courage, Um, or some awkward phrase like, be of good courage. And that's because the the Hebrew word is actually a verb, right? Courage in English is a noun. We tend to think of courage as something that you either have or you don't, right? Well, that person's really courageous. That's using it as an adjective, but that person's really courageous. You're either born that way or you're not. You're either a coward or you have courage. But in in the Hebrew... Part of the definition is to lay hold of. It's true of the Greek word as well in the New Testament. To grab with both hands. It's how we get, yeah, like it's awkward sometimes to read in our English Bibles, like be of good courage. Well, what does that mean? It's because the translators are trying to take a verb and make it a noun, right? Because we have a different understanding of the word think we would do really well to adopt a biblical understanding of courage. Something that we lay hold of, that we grab onto with both hands. But it's not something you're born with, but is instead something you do. Courage is something that we do. We're going to look at three real quick points. <clears throat> courage is commanded. We're going to depart from Nehemiah a little bit and use the example of Joshua. At the end of Deuteronomy, as Joshua is taking over leading the people of Israel um, after the death of Moses, in his initial commissioning of Joshua to be a leader, 
God tells him, be strong and courageous. And then when we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1, just in four short verses, God repeats over and over and over again, and at least one time saying it like this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. If courage was something that God could just bestow onto us, he wouldn't command it of someone. He'd just give it. I don't think courage can be bestowed, but I do think it can be borrowed. Courage is contagious. When we see other people being courageous, we can borrow some of their courage, but right, that's still a verb. If I'm borrowing someone else's courage, if I'm taking hold of something, that's still me doing it. We are commanded, and this is the one example I decided um, to focus on this morning. There are examples all the way through Scripture of God commanding his people to be courageous. Right? If, it was, if courage was just something that we prayed for and waited for God to give us, then he, he wouldn't tell us over and over again, be courageous. Be of good courage. Take courage. Courage starts with prayer. Let's look at how Nehemiah approached the whole deal. In chapter 1, verse 4, the um, news is brand new. And his immediate response, right? As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's take a little, just a little side step. When Nehemiah heard some things that were troubling to him, he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. It's an important step. If we skip over um, mourning things uh, that we have lost, right? The, the um, class of 2020... We should give them permission to mourn the rites of passage that they lost out on. We should try to substitute them with something. We should acknowledge, right, that that's a, it's why it's important for Kenny to say, I know this stinks. In the ways that we have been affected um, by the pandemic, by being locked up in our houses with only our families for days upon days upon days, where days of the week don't really mean anything anymore. As a joke, I got a text yesterday from a friend that said, by the way, it's Saturday, you preach tomorrow. Just thought I should remind you. Because what? how is Saturday any different from any other day? The ways that life has changed, it is not only appropriate, but it's really important for us to mourn and be honest about the way it makes us feel. And then he went to fasting and praying. In chapter 2, verse 4, it's exactly the same thing. As soon as the king catches him off guard and goes ahead and asks what's going on with him, the first thing Nehemiah does is pray. Our courage, yes, it's a verb. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're taking hold of something. But it doesn't come apart from prayer. The reason that Nehemiah could be courageous is because he had spent so much time fasting and praying, because he was confident of what God had told him to do, because he knew that it might sound dumb to say that the king's cupbearer was going to switch over to being a wall builder, but he had the confidence to do it. 
I think he had the confidence to do it because he had been praying. Courage has its foundation in Christ's position. Here's the beautiful, beautiful thing. As New Testament believers, we don't have to muster up anything. John 16:33 is Jesus um, speaking to his disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have hope. In this world you will have trouble, but in some versions it says take heart, but in some of our translations it says take courage. Why? Because I have overcome the world. You don't have to like look deep down inside yourself to find courage. We don't have to muster up something to take hold of. Our courage has its foundation in the position that Christ has already won. He's already overcome the world. We don't, we don't have to make it up. We don't have to convince ourselves. We don't have to convince other people. Nehemiah, to me, Nehemiah's um, approach to the king, not that persuasive. Right? The king says, why are you sad? Nehemiah didn't think he had shown that he was sad, but he says, how can I not be sad? Jerusalem lies in ruins. He didn't, he didn't really go out of his way. Like There was no three-point PowerPoint presentation to convince the king to send him. And he doesn't just ask for the time off and for the freedom to do it. He asks for a letter for safety. He asks for a letter for supplies. Because our position is secure, because Christ's position is secure, our positions are secure. We can lay hold of a whole lot of things. And not have to muster up the courage on our own. Here's the thing. The ultimate thing. Courageous restoration does two things. At least. At minimum. It does two things. Courageous restoration by God's people reflects the completed work of Christ on the cross. Every time we as God's people rebuild something, restore something... Every time we build a wall or repair a relationship or pick up the broken pieces and help someone move on, we're reflecting what Jesus did on the cross to a world that's in some deep pain right now. Because God is the original restorer. Our relationships with God was, were broken. He sent Jesus. To restore them. It reflects on the completed work of Jesus. But also when God's people are courageous restorers. It gets the ground ready for new creation. For what's coming. Revelation 21.5 says that the one who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. God restored our relationships with him through Christ's work on the cross. And ultimately, in the future, he's restoring everything. He's restoring um, this earth. He's restoring the heavens, even. He's restoring our broken bodies. We get new ones. He's restoring our relationships with one another. He's making all things new. And when we, as his people, are people of restoration, we, like, get the ground ready. We reflect on what he's already done and we prepare people for what's coming because new creation is coming.
We belong to a God of restoration. And we can be people of restoration. Because of who Jesus is, we have the courage that we need to do it. Lord, it it would be a lot easier if what we could pray was for you to grant us courage to do the things that you want us to do. It would be a lot easier if we didn't know that hard days uh, were coming. Wouldn't it be great, Lord, if there weren't things that were going to need to be rebuilt? There's for sure going to be a before and an after this particular season of life. And it would, be, it would be a lot easier for us to be able to um, just kind of hand it over to you and eat some more Oreos, watch some more TV. But I don't think that that's what you've called us to do. I think the picture that we have in Nehemiah is one of boldness, speaking, speaking truth to power, taking advantage of opportunities, And grabbing with both hands the things that you have laid in front of us to do. And they are always things of restoration. Lord, may your people rise up in ways that we have never had the boldness or courage to do before. Because we see that we get to join you in the work of restoration. Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.